Welcome to Electricians and Mad Men. I'm Ian Gorman. Today we feature my conversation with Gordon Van Ghent, co-owner and head audio engineer at Overneath Creative Collective, a full-service audio, video, and photography facility in Kalamazoo. Gordon is a sound engineer, producer, composer, and musician, working across the spectrum of audio from album production with independent artists to live performance video recording to music creation and sound design for internet and TV broadcast. We talked in May of 2017 in Overneath's main control room, right on Burdick Street in the heart of downtown Kalamazoo. We are a multi-faced production company that specializes in uh, visuals and sounds is our our company lingo. So photography, videography, uh, audio, and music production are the, the main four areas um, that can range a lot of ways you know sound audio can be live sound it can be audio books it can be music it can be a ton of things and the video side of it ranges from artistic you know things for music all the way to corporate you know product videos to uh, commercials for television so it, it's a pretty big gamut of what we can do and we, we really like doing all of the things together is kind of our why we call it the collective is because we get to do music events with video and photography and all of it in the recording studio. And it's just kind of a fun collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. On the website, I, I saw a lot of emphasis on Overneath being the combination of an agency and freelancers. Mm-hmm. How does the influence of freelancers make this different than a typical post-production agency? That's, it's just funny that that language started when we first opened and now we're bigger. So it's, it's hard to keep that vibe what ends up happening, and we've, we've kind of seen this as we've interacted with our clients and how they've interacted with other companies, is you'll get a single point of contact a lot of times, which is very much like a freelance. So you get like one person who's telling you, who's doing the project and talking to you and doing the billing, all that stuff. And where you, a lot of times we work with a corporation and we, we work with corporations all the time. So we know that you have one person who's the project manager, one person who's the billing, one person who's the talent, one person, you know, whatever it may be. So we're trying to find the balance of being, all right, we have a single point of contact. We're always available. We try to keep a fun culture. So it's kind of like a freelancer, but we do have a lot of the big systems in place. Like we have an accountant, we have a president, we have a special editor. Um, so finding the balance between those has been one of our like early like vision points for the company. How do we find a way? And it, it was especially difficult in the recording studio because recording studios, especially like smaller town recording studios, they're not big corporations. It's usually a one person, one, two people kind of like running the mm-hmm. whole thing. So at one point we tried doing, all right, you're going to book with this person and then you're going to go talk to Gordon and then you're gonna have a project, man. And so, and it was like, man, this is just, it's just people don't want that. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we simplified it and made like single points of contact as part of our process. So mm-hmm. even, especially on projects that are doing a lot of different disciplines where it's video and live sound and recording and big face on a screen, we'll have, just Drew is in charge. He's the person, and even if he doesn't have the answers, when someone he gets to all the questions and he responds to all of them, and that and he'll ask us, and he just becomes that kind of flow of information. And for the client, that's the freelancer side where it's easy to be able to just talk to one person mm. and not have to deal with the bureaucracy. Nice. So it's kind of the comprehensive multimedia service and interconnectedness of a larger agency, but mm-hmm. with the personal touch and the communication of a more of a small town freelance. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And I think communication is the, the key word. Like that's something that we we've gotten good feedback is that one thing they like about us is how quickly and easily we communicate. Even if it's sometimes we mess it up, everybody does, mm. but they've been really pleased so far. People are pleased with that. We get back to them in a reasonable time and it's usually not confusing because it's one person. Mm. Uh, and <laughs> for those who had to experience the times when we were trying the other ways, you know, that wasn't as great when we had like mm. Gordon's doing the project, but then Michael's running the management and the, you know, so, yeah, it's been much better communication-wise, especially. Well, I got to think in a facility this size with how many people are involved here, which, as you said, there are eight There's people. eight, yeah. There's uh, eight uh, full-timers, and then there's uh, four contractors as needed. Wow. So, yeah, that takes some calibration to figure yeah. out the, the best way to of, run it. We have a lot of like organizational like programs and systems that yeah. we keep trying to utilize as best we can to keep that alive. Yeah. And in addition to everything that you do in-house here with the staff, engineers, and, and producers, you're also 
really opening your doors wide to freelancers and, and more outside influence from the community and that sort of thing. We're trying to. We're trying to let this be more of a, I guess, one of the things that I'm trying to be, especially is it make it less about me mm-hmm. um, because I, <laughs> maybe just like any musician, you get kind of in your own head and you want to be the greatest. And then I'm starting to just let that go and be like, let's just let everyone be the greatest. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's going to, you know, make this a great, you know, people using it all the time, but I wanted it to be a place where anybody can come and make it a kind of a, what do you need? Let's make it happen here. Let's make it a community location for you know, live. We do the art hop stuff. We do lots of free events, uh, trying to, trying to pay artists so they can come in and play here. And, um, find ways for people to have free recordings, like just trying to make it as like collaborative of an environment as we can while trying to keep the lights on too, which is always sure. the battle. Um, but yeah, trying to make it open to other engineers has been a newer, like in something we're trying to push a lot more so people can can come and integrate and, and take it. Because people, people are great. They don't have the facility to operate and they have great skill in recording and producing, but they just need to have a drum set recorded in a real room mm-hmm. so they can come in and do that and then take it home. And that's been what's been happening more is they'll come to a couple isolation takes and take it home. And that's been that's been really great for them, I think. And good yeah. relationships have formed that way. Yeah, as well as taking advantage of the wonderful mic locker here. Yeah, and we're gear. trying to grow. That's one of the things, man, I, I've been learning a lot about what it means to run an open studio. Everybody can afford the cheap mics. So mm-hmm. having cheaper microphones here is not helpful for an open studio. So we're having to save money and invest in the higher end mics. So that makes it valuable to someone. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, a couple of Neumanns, having some high, like some Royers, some nicer mics where, you know, I, I mean, I, I love 57s and 81s. Those are great, you know, but people can usually, people have those on mm-hmm. their own and they'll bring them. So being able to offer people as, as we, you know, save money and buy new things, high end mics, you know, better instruments, better processors, that's been like something I've been trying to invest my time and money into. Mm-hmm. So they have what they need here. Well, it's a difficult thing for all of us in 2018 trying to run a studio when so many people have gear at home right. and uh, so many budgets are shrinking and record sales. Are, you know, it's it's a tough business. Yeah. And one thing that you guys do fantastically here is all of the things that you present that people can't do at home, whether it's the gear, of course, as we're mm-hmm. talking about, which is key. But also the facility. I mean, this is an amazing room. It's the probably the largest tracking room in Kalamazoo, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I can't think of anything that comes close to it at a studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, also just the facility and all of the the different services you offer mm-hmm. and the video and, and audio uh, together, um, as well as just the comfort level. I mean, this is right in downtown Kalamazoo on the mall. Mm-hmm. It's an exciting place. I'm mm-hmm. sure uh, when you have events here during Art Hop, your KBR sessions mm-hmm. or or whatnot, you know, it's it's got to really feel like a real part of the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been a it's it has its difficulties being on the mall. I mean, any downtown location for any business, you know, there's parking, there's crowds, there's random marathons that cut the roads off. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's been, honestly, that's been the hardest thing is like, (laughs) there's so many cool marathon community events that make it so we can't get to work. Uh (laughs) Um, But it's, I mean, it's been great to integrate. We, we, we do a lot of stuff with the other businesses on the mall and we try to share, um, like marketing. We do a lot with the arts council stuff down because they're just a couple doors down. So we work with them a lot on projects out here and they run the art hop. Um, and yeah, just trying to integrate and be a community spot, has been it's been part of the vision since we moved in so it wasn't um like a private residence or a private studio i mean mm-hmm. it sometimes it has to be um but we try to make it as much as possible yeah that that downtown happen in location as much as we can mm-hmm. yeah and for people listening that may not know this facility also has a got a very rich history to it this was built by kevin brown mm-hmm. and was brown and brown studios originally correct uh beautiful facility uh, uh i uh, i assume heavily soundproofed being down on the mall with businesses yeah around. very heavily soundproofed um i think there's always going to be like what was that noise that happens uh-huh. um and for the most part we've been able to find when something happens if there was a noise or a leak or something of sound um but yeah it's it's so far it's been pretty 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 soundproofed. Yeah, <laughs> floating floor here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything everything is as uh, everything is double layered from uh-huh. the floors and the walls. Um, the ceiling is dropped, um, so there's an extra layer up there, but you can't walk under there, which is annoying because it's not it's all just a drop ceiling. Uh-huh. Rather, so you can't. It's like a uh-huh. plank to walk to crawl across up there, which is difficult when you're trying to run things mm-hmm. through the ceiling. <laughs> Who is below you here? Manja Manja is oh, right okay. below us here. Um, we never have any issues from below. 
um, occasion, there was one time I, on a crazy thunderstorm when I think I heard thunder uh, recently, but I don't know if that was just something moving either, so uh-huh. I'm not sure. But it was, I know there was a thunderstorm going on, so I thought maybe we heard that. But yeah, for the most part, um, we have Manja Manja below us. We have, there's a tailor shop down there too. Um, and then next door is an apartment complex and that building, they just built a new apartments over there. And then to the other side is like pedals and postings and mm-hmm. uh, Milan. So there's not a lot of noise over there either. And Manja's not very loud either. They're, you know, right right above the studio is all of their compressors for their fridges and, and we don't oh, hear wow. those at all. So it's, it's pretty well isolated from that. Uh, when we had a noise, we were trying to, we thought we were hearing one day, I, I walked up there and I had them turn things on and off and like, you don't hear it at all. So hmm. I don't know. Kevin, Kevin was That's just, a, he just killed it. Him, he did yeah. it with, not alone, he, he did it with his brother and he did it with like Les Bats, who's a big, you know, audio guy in the area. And um, uh, Brad Scott, I think was a part of it. There's that whole crowd of people that were part of uh, uh, Kevin's friend group. And they, mm-hmm. they just, they all worked together over time to build this place and, Oh, we have his name on it. You know, we keep Kevin Brown live room stays in his pictures up there and keep his name on it as long as we're here. Yeah. When was it that Kevin passed? That's a great question. Uh, 07, I think. 06, 07. Um, Very sudden, tragic, tragic death and Mm -hmm. caught everyone off guard. And they, you know, Deb, his, his widow has been, had been trying to hold on to the place and, and keep it, keep it alive. And, and, you know, uh, Martin came in and trying to rent it out Mm -hmm. for a while and Farmer's Alley is renting it. And, you know, Deb was just having a hard time keeping it going, and we were able to come in and like pay her well for it, so she could keep make ends meet, and then eventually buy. It. Now we purchased it, so now oh, we great. we own the whole parcel. Nice. So. And you moved in here about 2014, right? Yeah, that was our official starting year. As like of as of January one, that's when like Overneath my old GVG Productions merged with Overneath mm-hmm. Media to create Overneath Creative Collective, and then we moved in. February, like mm-hmm. as you know, started moving in that that year. Yeah. So there was a period of about seven years where this space was, you know, getting rented occasionally, used mm-hmm. for various things. But you know, I I know I was very worried that they were going to just you know tear this down and turn it into condos or something. It's such a beautiful space, but it's you know a recording studio is such a specific yeah. build. <laughs> yep. And you I know. think being able to be a multifaceted company because the cost of being downtown is much higher. Um, being able to do a, a, a very diverse amount of whether video, photo, live sound, recording, I mean, all the different things we do, music writing and arranging, being able to diversify made it so we're able to stay, you know, in this space and do well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it was, it's difficult in today's age to have a full recording studio in a downtown location like this and keep it viable, you know, mm-hmm. for the, the, what people want to pay versus what it costs to be in a downtown spot. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, di- diversification is key these yeah. days for any studio, yeah. I feel like. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other services that are provided here besides more traditional music recording. Mm-hmm. The, you do video and you do photography here as mm-hmm. well, right? Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, most of the staff, because video, video takes a lot of staff, um, just traditionally. I mean, there's freelance, but when it comes to like large scale production, you have director of photography and you have a director and you have editors and there. So a lot of the staff is focused on video. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of corporate video. We do a lot of commercials. Um, some of our big clients are, we, we have, if you ever go onto Bronson Hospital's website and you look up any of their providers and you see a video. That's our video. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we've been, they have, they have us like, we're doing like 200 or something like that wow. videos. And then they have turnover, you know, doctors coming in and out. So we're always doing more for them. And that's been a, a, a long, long standing project. Um, we do a lot with Kellogg. Um, and one of the things that's great that we offer that's kind of special is that we can custom write music for track for mm. things as well to change, to help with licensing costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, licensing costs can be, especially for big corporations like Bronson and Kellogg, you know, they go by scope. And so Kellogg is an international company and they're going to mm-hmm. pay five grand per video just for the license for our mm-hmm. music. So we can write them a custom track. And we've got, and that's been a lot of fun because like I, my, I love to write music. I, I don't think I'm like, I'm going to be some famous songwriter or anything, but it is fun to be able to write music well, for stuff. You know, you, you have a master's in composition. I do. Right? Yeah. yeah. And you're a multi-instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a really rewarding part of this job is to be able to contribute that way. That's my, probably my favorite parts. I mean, it can be, you know, taxing because you're also, you're not always getting to be, I mean, you know, as a songwriter, like you want to write what you want to write. But in this mm-hmm. world, you have to write what the client needs. Mm. But I also kind of like the challenge of that too. Like, okay, we want like, 
we did this one for Stryker that was one of my favorites. It was this, <laughs> they wanted like a hip hop marching band sound <laughs> for this video about these new products. And they wanted it to like, they, they, they land like a superhero landing and there's like hip hop music and these cool shots of it. And, and I, they just, they had, they're so fun. The people at Stryker, they have such fun idea, like these different songs they want. And I got to just like, okay, I get to write a hip hop marching band track. What's <laughs> that going to be like? Uh-huh. And it was super fun. And, and most of the time it ends up working out great. And we get good feedback from the clients and say, can we try this? Can we try that? And it could be anything from, you know, a background for a video to a jingle. We've done like, you know, branded songs mm-hmm. for different people as well. And that's mm-hmm. more traditional jingle writing. Uh, which is a whole other ball game because you're doing lyrics and things with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's certainly rewarding for me doing that side of it. Uh, and that's what's great about you know Kellogg and Bronson's. They can get a custom track that's their branded music um, that they're not buying from a big licensing agency online. Mm-hmm. Neat, neat. Is it a different experience writing music to go under voiceovers than it is to write music that is more lyrical? <laughs> totally. Um, it's... Yeah, you have to. I spend a lot of time listening to different videos and seeing vibes. And there's, there's. A, if anyone ever listens to or does the stuff, they go on the music bed a lot. Is one of the big, like, famous, uh, or probably one of the best, like, licensing sites. And the people that make music on there, I mean, they're producing some really great sounding tracks. Um, and so, writing like trying to fit underneath, you're mostly writing for an emotion rather than writing for expression. And that's mm-hmm. a subtle difference. Mm-hmm. So when I write my own music, I'm writing. I want to write, I feel this way, so I'm going to write my angry song. Right? I'm angry, so I'm going to write angry lyrics. I'm, going to ang- I'm really sad, I'm going to write sad. I'm really happy, I'm going to write happy. Well, this one, it's like, okay, we have a video. We want people to feel like the loss of happening in this moment and then the hope that comes at the end. So, all right, mm-hmm. I need to find a way to, how do, I, how, how do I feel? How do, a lot of times we ask them to give us examples of like what songs make, you know, make that vibe for you and how, mm-hmm. how you're vision, envisioning the video. And we'll use a lot of inspired inspire tracks like film score or a pop song. And we'll say, we kind of like the way this sounds. And we spend a lot of time in pre-production doing that. But then it becomes about, okay, how do I, how do I make people feel that emotion from the music while they're talking about it? Mm. And that's, that's a challenge. It's, it's, it's what film score is. And that's, sometimes I get to do it. I just did one recently for uh, maestro for, I think it was for Johnson and Johnson. And it was, um, it was like a really sad opening and then like the hopeful ending. And I got to score it to the video, which it's a, it's different. Sometimes the editors really like to have the video, like the music first and they edit to the beat, you know, a certain way. But a lot of times in more traditional film score, you have the edit made already. And then you score with hit points where you want it to Mm. be. And um, so I got to do that. And I, I found that to be really enjoyable, finding a tempo that works, finding how I wanted the timing to go along with how he had it laid out. And it's just, it's a very different world than just writing for yourself, mm-hmm. which I, this is also really great to write for yourself too. <laughs> sure. sure. Is a lot of the music that you compose and produce here for that done in the box in MIDI land or is it live instruments or is it a combo? It's definitely a combo. And a lot of it depends on client budgets. Um, we did, when I can play things myself as much as I can, I will. Um, if it's something that needs to be done quickly and it's not, exceptionally how do I say this properly lucrative like mm-hmm. we're not going to be making a lot of money on it I won't spend the extra time getting the kit set up and and doing a, a mm-hmm. big recording of it um, we have you know some decent like you know, superior drummer and like the east west drum stuff like that mm-hmm. um, but we we do a lot of string in the box because um, I have the full gamut of east west platinum like string library and they have articulations and it takes man I'm still learning daily and how to use that properly um uh, and then we have like their Steinway. It's funny. We have a Steinway here, but I'll still do like a MIDI Steinway <laughs> because I can't, I mean, I'm not a pianist, uh, but yeah. we have had a lot of times when um, they really want the live sound and, mm-hmm. and it's been great to be able to have like local players come in and do, you know, one-off half hour sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I went to Western Michigan, so I, I mostly use Western Michigan like contacts from the faculty say, hey, do you have a student who wants to do a studio session? Or if I have a friend, you know, who does stuff too, or bands that mm-hmm. come through. Um, so yeah, we've done a few where I've branded a drummer. I mean, I, I play drums enough where I can do a lot of the simpler stuff, but we did a track a couple years back for Westerns, uh, something for Western Michigan that was like a, kind of like a rockin' jet kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was like, I need to get like a, a drummer to do this. So I'm not like just time aligning all my mistakes constantly. Right, right. <laughs> and that was, it's worth paying for, for like a bigger client that's, we're making more money mm-hmm. on. I can I take some of the margin off to pay a player. Yeah. So it, it definitely goes both ways. And, and all the guitar stuff I can do myself. Um, for Kellogg, 
Kellogg, they like a lot of the natural sound. Um, that's part of their brand. So we've, you know, mandolins, banjos, acoustic guitars. Um, I'm not a banjo player, so mm-hmm. I will hire a banjo player to come mm-hmm. play. Um, if it's a simple mandolin line, sure, I can I can handle mm-hmm. that. But uh, if we need a mandolin, I'm going to hire a mandolin player to play mm-hmm. it. Um, so upright bass, I'm going to hire upright bass player. If it's electric, I can handle it. It's fine. But you know, I'll, I'll call John Moody mm-hmm. in town or someone to play the bass so we have a real yeah. bass player on it. Yeah, well, there's such a wealth of talent around oh here gosh. with Western and just with the, the music community in yeah. Kalamazoo. It's the amazing. Scene. Yeah. In the dream world, we have infinite time to do everything the way that our dreams yearn for but in the real world when you're working with clients budgets are always guiding your decisions right. and your reality and i got to think especially for you guys here with the vast array of clients that you have everything from local bands to corporations yeah. you not only have to deliver a quality product on time but you also have to do it within their budget yeah and i got to think that that dictates sometimes the choices that you're making to get the job done by their standards mm-hmm. and their budget yeah, that is. I mean, I think all of us in the audio world, when we're when not, when you're when you're able when you're able to do in, in school or for friends, you can spend hours experimenting and trying things, and that's great. I mean, man, I I wish I'd taken better advantage of that. Like I did some, but like now that I know more, it's like you know, you always know more later, and you wish you had done more back when you were in school, trying experimenting. Um, but yeah, trying to find, when you have a local band, it's like, we have a little budget, we can do like a couple hours. Like, yeah, so we gotta, we gotta spend more time making sure it's mic'd really well and not expect post-production, like make sure it's really solid up front. Um, versus some people are like, I, I'm going to spend, I'm going to book a week and we're going to just experiment for the week or the weekend or whatever. And we're going to try stuff. We did one for someone who is a, he wanted to do an electronic album with all real samples. So we had songs, but he really just wanted to just try a bunch of stuff and then take it home and just cut it up and try putting it together. Wow. And so he spent a ton of time just like, I'm going to play this lick on the organ. I'm going to put this on the roads. I'm going to play on the piano. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on, and just trying things. And that, that's, that can be really fun too, but you know, it's more time in the studio. Yeah. Um, for the, for on the mixing side of it though, especially like you have clients who they really want a radio ready song and you know, like that can take a lot of time, you know, for depending on the genre, mm-hmm. you know, if they want something that's in the pop field, that's got to be, you know, perfectly time aligned and tuned really well and tuning can take time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot with a lot of Christian groups and they have like eight singers and each one has to be tuned mm. a, a bit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of them are good and they're, so they're close, but you know, even, even the best singers have a couple notes here and there that, sure. and so you got to go through every, every track and tune each one and make sure they're aligned. And it takes, it takes time and people, you know, Sometimes they have to; they can't afford to do that, so you have to just kind of take it as is. Mm-hmm. Um, even with like the band playing together with a click track, I mean, there's this little off. And are you are you okay with that sound? Like, I mean, that's very natural to have. You know, no one's ever perfectly on, but in the pop world, they want you to be perfectly on sometimes and mm-hmm. be exactly in time. And so you spend time, you know, using Beat Detective and getting that all stuff lined up. And and you know, can they afford to do that? And that's that's a tough question for bands if they want if they want to spend the time making it sound that, or if they, you know, if you have, you know, Lumineers, that's what they're all, they're, they're probably considered a pop group at this point, mm-hmm. but they're a folkier pop group. And so the, the time alignment isn't as important. And that, that's part of the vibe. Mm-hmm. But if you want to sound like Maroon 5, you gotta be mm-hmm. right on that click track permanently. Yeah. And that's a, takes different time. Is that the kind of thing that you discuss with bands during pre-production meetings to get a, lot a of feel times. for their what they want to get out of it and what their reality is with their budget? Yes, um, that's been a big topic of discussion. The pros t- typically know, and you know that, like they come in, they kind of know. Yeah, we're gonna it's gonna be this is gonna be a ten thousand dollar budget because we know we're gonna be spending this much time. But you know, the bands that have first timers come in, they're like, oh, "What does it cost to make something this good?" Like, well, it can be, it could be a lot, and so we talk about that in advance, and I try to. I try to help people find a balance between it. And that's, you know, you can have a week. So I can help you produce your album. So you're going to, I'm going to spend time arranging it. I'm going to spend time. That's going to take a lot of extra time. If you want to just lay down a demo and not worry about that and have something to start with, like then maybe that's if, as a new artist, don't try to spend time in that refinement and, and, and trying to make it sound perfect yet. Mm-hmm. See what, see what it's like in the studio for you first and, and try it. And so, so a lot of times we, we spend time discussing those things. Like I've never, I've never done any music before in my life, but I want to have a radio ready song. Like, okay, well that's great. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I hope you can, but realize that if you've never worked in a studio and you don't know what it takes, 
it, it might cost you more than you think. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I mean, you deal with that. I mean, all of us in, in this world, we deal with that all the time. Uh, so yeah, trying to, I, I try to spend a lot of time with any client that's willing, meeting in person, talking about it. We have a pre-production form, especially for those that are busy that has like a lot of these questions and very like generic, tell me about your music. Like, what are you using this for? Do you like click tracks? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always say, and they're like, hey, this is for you. Like, it's good to have it in writing. And I can fill this out myself when we're meeting. But, you know, we would be people, clients that are, you know, touring or whatnot. Like, they'll just fill that out as they go. Um, and we get a lot of those questions answered in advance because it's it helps a ton when you know in advance bef- before the session starts what's mm-hmm. expected. Yeah, absolutely. It's key. You know, wh- one really significant band in Kalamazoo right now that you've been working with is The Founding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I understand they did their record pretty quickly here. Right? Yeah, that was a really great. I think that record was one of my favorite, like, full experiences. Besides, they're just cool guys and girl, guys mm-hmm. and girl. <laughs> can't can't forget about the Shub Kegel. Um, she's a. Uh, uh, they uh, their uh, their timeline was very quick, but we did a really good job of prepping that in advance, and. I work better with the deadline. Mm-hmm. And when bands come in, they're like, yeah, we're going to do an album. We'll release it whenever. Well, then it gets put on the back burner of albums that have deadlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we, we got together with our first meetings, we're like, okay, we want to have this album. We want to be about 10 songs. We're going to try to release this day. We're trying to find a recording day this time. Okay, we, that means I have to books you know, this time, these weeks to make sure I'm mixing it. Um, and we did a lot of great work in advance, like mapping out click tracks. That was a big thing as I had them. Because they do a lot of things with written out um, sheet music. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they operate. And so they had Sibelius files, which we could export as MIDI with a click track that, that was already set with their tempo changes and stuff. Wow. So they already had some compositions in Sibelius, mm-hmm. and you're able to just extract click maps from that. Yes. So we, yeah, that was a, a great help. We still spent that. So we, do, we did a weekend session. That means they get Saturday and Sunday, basically, as what they're paying for. And then they come in Friday night to just set up, get comfy. And that Friday night we did that. We got sound check. We got everybody's monitors good. We got the sounds where we wanted them. And then we spent the rest of the evening going through the click maps. We bring, we brought them into, into from Sibelius, exported as MIDI, brought them into Pro Tools. And we um, played through them in the room. So we added like two measures up front to make sure we had a good like count off. Um, and then we made sure that they lined up right. And there's a few spots that were free sections. So we like, you know, lengthened it. So we lined it up later. Um, there was a few spots where we added in, um, they wanted to add a, a, a kick drum sound. So we had a good, we have a great sample library for that stuff. So we brought in a kick sound um, and put it in there already. So that way it was already lined up with the MIDI stuff. Nice. And they, that way for them playing with that, you know, boom, 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 in that folky kind of vibe uh, worked really well. And that saved so much time. And it also helped a ton with, because we were isolating, we could do multiple takes and every person would give me notes after each take. I really did a good job on that one. I didn't like that one. And at the end of it, because they were all done at this, you know, in isolation, for the most part isolation, we could swap anyone in. Now that took some like, <laughs> with an eight, seven person group, seven, you know, that took some time. Um, and most of the time, if they, we tried to keep the ones they did together as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Like they take seven, everyone did, was happy with that one, except for a couple of spots. Um, but that was having the map in advance made things go so much quicker on the actual sessions. And that was a huge benefit. That was one of my favorite parts is that we spent the time that Friday night playing through it with the clicking. They were just sitting here playing along, making sure everything lined up right. And we tried to time out like when those like slow tempos, I was just tapping a tempo and like doing the, doing the, cause a lot of times it's Belius, you know, it's just the general retard. It just goes mm-hmm. however it goes. We wanted to make it more on purpose. Um, that was that was huge, and that was my that was probably my favorite thing we did. We spent time on that. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Another thing that really sets the studio apart is having video facilities right mm-hmm. here as well. And one of the things you're most well known for here, here are the KBR sessions. Would mm-hmm. you mind talking a little bit about what that is like here? Yeah, the KBR sessions is the Kevin Brown room sessions, and it was a, an early vision we had about trying to just use the space to benefit artists to benefit the community to and for us it was just fun because we get to use all of our like stuff together um something that we can do and we like to do so we wanted to do it 
Uh, so we bring in artists uh, once a quarter. Uh, some people pay for special. Like we have private KBR sessions too. They're not really called KBR sessions. They just kind of like that vibe, but they'll pay for their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, we put on one uh, every quarter, every season. And we'll bring in a different genre. We try to change the genres up as much as we can. Uh, local music has been kind of the start. And then slowly we're branching out to touring more larger groups. Um, and we do uh, we do a live live recording is what we call it a live recording concert experience. Mm-hmm. It's our fun branding for it, uh, and it's meant to be studio mics looking looking kind of like a recording session. Everyone's in headphones typically, or or just no wedge monitors really mm-hmm. is the idea. Um, keep it as acoustic as possible in there because it's it's a smaller space. But you know people singing, you got to have something for them to go through. And uh, we try that. We we have you know five six cameras set up and our video team out there, and we do a live recording of it, live audience, and then the artists get to pick one song uh, from their set, and we'll we'll do a mix and master on the audio and a final edit on the video. We'll put it on our our YouTube page and just put it out there. We we give the master files to the artists too, so they have mm-hmm. you know they can sell it if they want to. Um, part of the contract is just so we can put it on our YouTube page. There's no there's no mm-hmm. monetization on the YouTube page. It's just sharing. That's sure. all it is. Yeah. We There's just a- started monetizing it recently. Trying, we we hit a wall with it, realizing that there are artists who, like local artists, having a free recording and audio is is really beneficial. But a lot of people like it's not enough. They need to be able to pay the bills too. So mm-hmm. having some kind of monetization so they can make some money on their performance is helpful. So we're now we're ticketing it, trying to find ways to. Um, have larger artists be able to pay themselves as well as get the video product too. Um, and hopefully offset some of our costs. Cause it, we, we've put, you know, there's eight people on staff for the whole day basically sure. that we're not making money on. So, sure. So ticketing it, ticketing it for the audience. There's a live audience here for the correct. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So it is a live, it's a live audience. Um, it's gone anywhere from having a large, a hundred people in there to now we're doing more intimate, like 45 and doing two sets is kind mm. of what we're trying to do around tables with candlelight or maybe nice. or just nice lighting, whether it's candlelight or not. Um, and that's been, that's it, the ticketing is, is you get, you're getting like a snack. You know, we usually have like a sponsored wine. Mm-hmm. This, this next one we're doing, we have wine coming in from Imperial beverage and we're trying to talk to this cheese place out in Portage. I don't know. They were talking about it earlier to give like wine and cheese for the, mm-hmm. it's a jazz one. So I thought that wine and cheese would be fun. Neat. <laughs> so. Neat. so there's no PA for, the, or do you use a PA? Uh, only if necessary. So we, uh-huh. we've, oh, it's been tough. We've had bands like Joe Hurtler. Mm-hmm. We've had bands like Last Gasp Collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers, Last Gasp Collective. They're big groups yeah. and they're playing with their full band. So you have to have some, some amplification for the voices, especially, or keyboards that are not acoustic mm-hmm. and they're competing against these big drummers that are, that are, trying to keep it together but it's a small room i mean i mean it's a big room for recording but it's a small room for a live venue yeah um and so we've had to do some pa with that especially um we had matt gerard in in uh february and you know vocals are important so we had his voice going through and there was a keyboard as well but for the most part we wanted to be as acoustic as possible and we've been trying to push our artists to be more intimate we think the best ones we've done are the i mean the joe hurtler's Turned out great. Last guest, they turned out wonderful, but mm-hmm. it's you know that much noise in a small space. It's it takes a lot of work to make sure it's sounding good. Um, so we we've been working with artists to say hey, we're gonna keep it as intimate as possible. You know, rods if you're gonna play if you're gonna play drum set rods or or, or thunders like mm-hmm. something that's keeping it from being crazy hit. Lots of dampening on it. Trap kits are better. Cajon kits are even better where it's like right. you know kick Cajon. Um, uh, and so, like, the, yeah, we pushing that more and more, and I think that ends up looking the best. Uh, one of our favorite looking ones was with a group called the Center State. They're from Missouri, uh, and they came through with a connection from a friend in town. And they they were very acoustic. They had a drum set and everything, but they there was four of them: upright bass and the round. And it just looked really cool with four people, really intimate brushes. Like it was just a really cool vibe. Um, and that we try to push that look more than the full band look as much as mm-hmm. possible. How does multi-tracking a band with an audience and some kind of minimal PA system differ from a normal session? Does it change your job as an engineer? Yeah, it changes a lot in the, especially in the setup. And once once you're going, you can't do, you can't do much. We we have someone else running live sound, and their job is to make sure that they use as minimal live sound as possible. Mm. Um, and specifically because we don't want it to be bleeding into the microphones and that's that's huge but like anyone who records live i mean you were just talking we were just talking about your your session with 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 Stephen Lynch and and you know it's it's a whole other ball game when you can't isolate and when you're you can't overdub um 
you have to you have to make sure you're set up in a way that your bleed is acceptable because you're going to have bleed no matter what and all the mics um, and accepting like and you're in that situation too you have live, live sounds you having to mm-hmm. make sure okay where are the monitors set are they pointing at my microphones am I, how much how much of that pointed at my microphone is coming into that microphone uh, it, it does change a lot especially in the setup time mm-hmm. especially in the setup mm-hmm. what kind of crew do you usually have working those shows KBR sessions will have um, usually three camera operators. We'll have a, a, a front of house person that's kind of managing the facility. We'll have a recording engineer. We'll have a live sound engineer, um, and then so that's what five, six, seven, yeah, eight people usually on. Wow, yeah, they're big events. That's why I mean, we've been doing them for free, and we just we just do it out of pocket and just trying to make it cool. And so we're trying to find ways to. Op- we tried applying for grants, but because we're a for profit company, it's hard to get grants. And right. um, so now we're trying to ticket it. And we have a we have a big one coming up, which is just starting to get announced. Um, it's not officially announced yet, but in November, it's our first on location. It's going to be at First Pres. It's for a classical, a touring, big classical group coming in town. Um, that's going to be pretty great. Mm. And that's our first time we're actually not going to be in the KBR for wow. it. Um, but that's going to be a, a bigger ticketed one trying to bring again, bring in these larger groups to do more magnanimous events with mm-hmm. awesome video and audio too. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you do room mics, that sort of thing when you're doing? Yeah. Always have room mics up. Um, and we try to, you know, uh, so Garrett Gagne was on staff for a while. He's mm-hmm. about, he about to go get his master's. So we have to lose that. He's such a talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would both, you know, we talk a lot about how one of the things we do here is when we do mixes, we always like we always share a mix with each other and say, "Give me some feedback first. We, we want to just, I don't know, peer peer reviews is, mm-hmm. is helpful. And then we talk a lot about like, do we want it to sound more like a live room together using a lot of room mics, or we want it to sound like a, a studio session that happened to be live? And that becomes a big question of how you present it. So anything that's but like anything that's acousticy, like we had a classical one. We we had close mics and everybody, but we were mostly using the room stuff because we want that group sound, mm-hmm. and also just the sound of the audience too. Applause is always helpful to have in there, and you can get that pretty simply. But we want to make sure the room is captured effectively because part of the vibe is being in that space together. Yeah, well, I would think with a room the size of what you have, you're probably doing room mics pretty frequently for a lot of stuff in there. Oh, in general. Oh yeah. yes, always. Well, I, I was talking about KBR sessions, but yes, uh, always, yeah. almost always room mics. I mean. I did a vocal like a Southern gospel group recently and I had one of the vocalists in that room and I had him in a bi-directional mic because I wanted to get the natural room, but not too much of the natural. Mm-hmm. Um, in that situation, I didn't have a room mic up cause I was mostly getting a little close mic sound mm-hmm. from them. But almost every other time, like whenever we have drums and there's always a, dr- a drum pair mm-hmm. room mics up in the room. Uh, whenever we do anything classical in there, I mean, classical is all about the rooms for mm-hmm. the most part anyway. Um, anything jazz. Yeah. We have a, a kind of a standard piano set up in that room where we have, it's like a pair inside a pair at the lip and a pair in the room mm-hmm. that we kind of mix together depending on. And they, when we did our, when we, when we first got the Steinway, we did these series of sessions called the Steinway sessions that were just local artists. Hey, come play it. We'll do a video. We want to show it off. Um, and we mic'd it that way. And we're and part of our challenge was, okay, we're going to mic it the same way all the, every time. And we're going to be the different genres we have. We're going to see how we can manipulate those mics to mm. do that. That was a good challenge. We've learned a lot about, you know, jazz is very different than classical. It's very different than pop. It's very different than musical theater. We had a musical theater one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, how we use the room has been interesting and a challenge. And I think you're going to have in your well, you had in a lot of Luna already, but in your new space, you're going to deal with okay, how do you utilize that room now in different sure. ways because they all sound different. Every room you go to. And where is the best place to capture the room sound has been, I'm still figuring I, I one of my intern projects, I have interns coming through. I'm like, Hey, I want you to try this. Cause I don't have time to try it. And I need to know how it sounds nice. because we, there's so many different ways to do things yeah. and learning how to do it is part of, I guess, part of our job when we have time. Yeah, totally. Well, what are some of your go-to approaches on room mics? What do you like to use? Where do you like to put them? Um, so our we have like our really great Omnis, our DPA 4006s, and I'll put them in a space pair a lot. And that's kind of like, it's funny to me when I end up using them for just audience sound. I'm like, those are the most expensive audience sounds ever. <laughs> right. Um, but they, they work great. I mean, obviously in a, in a space pair uh, in that room. Uh, my, my favorite though, uh, especially for drums, is using ribbon and a blum line. And mm. I think that's been one of my favorite setups for the room, especially for drums, because at least in our room right now, it's still kind of like high mid heavy. Cause we haven't gotten the full, like we're still building like sound work in there and baffling. Mm-hmm. So the, the ribbons already kind of roll off a little of the high end and makes it already kind of thumpier and warmer, warmer mm. from the, from the get go. 
Um, so I really like doing that. And, and of course, the cast or the uh, 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 DPA sound sound wonderful. I'll, you can manipulate them to sound however you want them to sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do that too. But I really like having those ribbons. That's a really nice way to go. Nice. Nice. Now you also mentioned the Steinway here, which is a really special instrument. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the history of the Steinway? Yeah. So uh, we were, you know, ch- my background being a lot of classical and jazz people. And my, you know, we talked. I've been talking to talking to a lot of my f- friends who I worked with before, and you know, one of the issues is finding a good piano. I mean, that's for any piano player. People, it's great having a keyboard and finding a good, you know, sound set, and that's wonderful. But for those who need the real instrument part of looking for a studio is finding a piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's less about the gear sometimes. It's more about the instrument. Um, gear's important too. <laughs> but a lot of times you need to find the right instrument to play sure. on. So uh, I was you know, brainstorming, like, how can we buy one? How do we look for one? I, mean, I was talking to uh, Shub Piano. Shub, is that what it is? Down in like Indiana, I think it is. And I'm uh, talking to you know Reader over in uh, the east side and or Lansing is where they are. Um, just different like options, you know, where we could talk to Yamaha about like, you know, okay, can we get a C7? That's a pretty great, you know, good price for a full grand. How much, how could we fund it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I speaking to a, a private donor. I was just kind of mentioning how like, yeah, we're looking to find a way to get a piano in there because we can have these jazz artists who look for piano. And uh, this particular donor who he wants to stay anonymous, but he, he is a friend of mine uh, and he was a friend of the Kalamazoo Symphony. And he said, well, you know what? I, being being a wealthier person and you know working in tax brackets, which I don't know anything about, he was like, I would like to make a big donation, and and, and I'll do that by buying a piano. F- now for them, it has to be it has to be for a not for profit for the tax stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they decided to buy the Steinway for the Kalamazoo Symphony, and as part of the deal, it would live at Overneath, and it would come out once a year to go to. Uh, Miller, Chenery, depending on when they have a piano concerto or a famous piano player coming in. Um, we had like Ellis Hall came in and they brought the Steinway out for like, cause he's a you know, keyboard player, piano player. Um, and so it goes out once, twice, three times a year for that kind of stuff, uh, special events. And then otherwise it lives here and it's maintained by an endowment. Uh, so we have a deal uh, with this part of this donors thing was that he helps pay for the move. Well, the endowment pays for the move and um, it. uh, it's it's regulated once a month as part of or tuned once a month I should say to keep it in shape and mm-hmm. we 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 use Demarie Jones who's you know godsend to the area for mm-hmm. <laughs> for for piano work and uh, we, she she tells me what to do to make sure it stays in good shape we keep it you know humidity regulated uh, we have a lot of rules about washing your hands and um, no drinks or food near it that kind of stuff to make sure mm-hmm. and it's it, those things are fickle keeping them in good shape over the, over the many years that they they exist yeah. uh, but because of that you know, that donor we have to go to New York and uh, with a KSO and per, and pick out a Steinway at the Steinway factory wow. which was a, I mean a dream for yeah. me I, I went along more just, just as ears uh, uh-huh. I went with uh, Raymond Harvey who he's mm-hmm. the now emeritus director of Kalamazoo Symphony Orchestra um, and who's a tremendous piano player in his own right and Dee Marie we went up there together and uh, as well as Peter Gistelink was there as well who's the director of the KSO uh, and we got to just spend the day. We, we toured the factory, and then we they brought in five brand new D's, and uh, Raymond and D spent. You know, Raymond played them. Mm-hmm. Uh, D touched them and tweaked them. Uh, I listened to them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we all kind of talked about which ones they liked the most. And this is the one we picked out. We made a little video and a little blog post about the process. That's that's on our site. It's mm-hmm. if, you're, if anyone's curious about that process, it was it was great. Uh, and then it spent it's it spent the first three four months being played daily by uh, Reiko Yamada from the KSO and Helen Lukin came in and played it and uh, just keeping it you have to break in like any new a car you have mm-hmm. to just drive it and so people it was being driven a lot for a long time and um, and now it's it's um, D D Marie calls it uh, the Philly because it's a young horse start and we, uh-huh. we keep it in the stable we call it the stable um, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, she she thinks it's the best piano in town, and I think you know I think Miller's rebuild will beg to differ, or Chenery's rebuild will beg to differ mm-hmm. on that, and I think Miller's rebuild will beg to differ on that. <laughs> Everyone loves their piano, and yeah. they're all great, but it's a pretty powerful instrument, and it's it's it sounds beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, h- how do you like to mic it here? Like, say you're doing a solo piano mm-hmm. classical piece. Mm-hmm. What's your approach with the Steinway? Yeah, so uh, we do one of my favorite techniques right now is to do three pairs of mics and then to mix them depending on the genre that I'm doing. And it's a good go-to 
Um, and it's good because artists also get a chance to like have different options. So I'll do, uh, we have our, our Mictec C5s, our like nicer, nicer small diaphragm condensers. We'll put those kind of angled, like a high-low inside the piano, kind of a typical inside the piano approach. Um, not not really near the hammers, a little further back, although depending, a lot of times the jazz or pop guys, I will do an XY over the hammers for those instead of spaced inside. Um, 25 degree angle, kind of down, a little further back, kind of trying to be over the middles of the strings as much as possible to get that center of, uh, of the vibration, center of the frequencies in there. And then we'll put a, the, so that, that'll be kind of the close mic sound, you know, that is, issues with that become like, you, know, you get the pedal noises a lot with that. Cause it's, but pianists, like it bothers me cause I'm so used to hearing sample libraries where you don't hear the noises of the instrument. But mm-hmm. pianists are like, yeah, that, that's the way the piano sounds. The pedal lifts, and you hear right. it. Like, yeah, I guess you guys like it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I always like them frustrated. I'm like, how do I get rid of that sound? Um, then we'll put a Blumline ribbon. We have our Cascade Fat Heads. We'll put uh, Blumline kind of near the lip, and really focus it on a high low as well. And man, Blumlines are so directional. It mm. really spreads that left right sound out a lot. And then we'll put the DPAs out, kind of on a full open stick. We'll do um, right at the top of the lip high up so it's the sound that's kind of cascading out of the top of the instrument and it's hitting it kind of higher in the air and that gives a good room sound and then they get to mix between those three close lip mm-hmm. room nice nice what about for a jazz session do you ever have to deal with mike and the steinway in the same room as a combo or yeah. that sort of thing uh when we do the kbrs or any of the stuff in the same room together we have a couple cl- i'll do that same kind of technique uh on the, the high low and we have some clamps we'll put in with some goosenecks and they kind of sit inside i mean grand pianos always sound best open but you can't always do that because of how you know instruments around it mm-hmm. so when we close it we've gotten some great results you have to do some tweaking with what frequencies are standing inside there um between those two mics when it's closed or, ha- or short sticked um, but we can close it all the way with the um clips that are in there which is helpful to isolate a bit from a drum set mm. so it's not it's not ideal uh, but it's pretty com- I mean, we, we all have to deal with it all of us who mic the pianos live um in a jazz session, though, if, if they have if they are isolated, I, I have done. I mean, I've tried different techniques as well, but I do like to do the X Y. And, and Matt Proc, that a guy I mentioned from Chicago, um, turned me on to it just in how he did it. I got to hear his final product um, when he, he did it on our Steinway. He used those two uh, Sennheisers. Oh god, what are they called? I never. I don't know the brand numbers, but it's their it's their higher end studio um, cardioids. Um, mm-hmm. He had them in X Y, pretty close to the hammers, a little behind the hammers, I think. And it, it sounded great. You get that attack that I think he was looking for for that that jazz sound. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, and even in jazz, I think it depends on who you're talking to too, mm-hmm. because for it's that a wide yeah, range of sounds, and that was vocal jazz, so it's a little poppier. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like if you're just if you're doing something for Chick Corea, he probably doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. He wants it much darker. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it really just depends on the artist. But yeah, yeah those are the two. Th- those those two different ways have been pretty effective for me. Nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about this track that you brought to share today. The song is called Looking For You uh, by Anna Joy Tucker. And uh, I really like the way it turned out from a songwriting standpoint. Um, we did a lot of work with the like different sound sets we were going for and how the chords worked together from like a... It started in like a very minor key and then it turned into a major key at the end and it makes a... A really cool emotional vibe, but one of the things I liked the most about it was our use of trumpet. We used a, we could have done it MIDI, but we ended up bringing in a guy named David Bernard, who's a great local trumpet player in Kalamazoo, and he, he kind of treated it. We treated it a little bit like a, a synthesizer. He's basically just playing whole notes, hmm. um, but we had him stack it live, and it, it just added a really cool. It's it's pretty subtle, but I really like the way it turned out with having the trumpet in there and this kind of ambient trumpet sound with it. And it was cool because we did that like acoustic-y thing, but we also have like electric drums in there with the real drums. And we have um, like some synth work as well. I just think it turned out really nice. Great. Well, let's give it a listen. Thank you. 
Wow, man, what a gorgeous mix. That's really something. Thank you. Well done. Uh, the first thing that blew me away about that were the reverbs. There's such mm-hmm. gorgeous reverbs on the voice, the drums, the of course that tail on the end, mm-hmm. uh, as well as some special effects. What what, what is your go to reverb program? Ooh, um, or are there many? There's a couple. I I, I will often start with uh, the lexicons from Slate. Slate has their mm. lexicon emulator. Um, I like. I just like the way the lexicons, like, st- like standard presets sound. I'll start with them. Um, but I'll use a lot of uh, – my, my convolution is uh, Space, um, which is by uh, Trillium Labs. But it, it's, it's now – Avid like has a deal with them, so it now mm-hmm. comes with HD. Um, so I use – they have some really cool like, – It's all. I guess it's a Dutch company, so they have a ton of these Dutch halls, like Dutch churches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll use them a lot as well. And I'll still use – I mean, I'll go back and I'll use uh, Oxford here and there as well. Um, I think those are my typical go-tos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, how, how did you get that uh, that backwards reverb effect on on the snare there? Did you actually like flip it and add reverb, or was that a preset? Or yeah, we I just recorded it. I think I think with that one that was so that's Keith Hall on drums, uh-huh. and I think we actually recorded him hitting the snare in the room, and then I put it through the verb, and then recorded that, and then just reversed it. So that way it had the full tail it came through, mm-hmm. um, in- including the natural from the room, because we had room mics up for that, too. The, the whole beginning of that the opening drum time is mostly just the room mics alone. Wow. And then it, that's what kind of a, a like an intentional shift from the roomy sound to the close mic sound. Mm-hmm. Nice, yeah, and and the t- toms are huge. Uh, yeah. Do you remember, uh, how do you mic the toms? Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I want to say, I want to say... It's my 421s, which are, you know, everyone's favorite sure. mics. Classic. Uh, uh, I think it was the 421s through the True, mm-hmm. Precision 8, um, which just, they sound great. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was our Mapex kit that was being used, mm-hmm. one of our house kits. Um, nice. Although, and Keith Hall is an amazing drummer. Yeah, he's a great drummer. And I think he he may have brought different heads in and tuned them up because he's, you know, he's Keith. So he does that. Um yeah, so I think at the 421s, I think he only had two Tom. Maybe we had three on there. So it may have been 421s, and it might have been a 112, uh, AKG 112 on the low Tom. Oh, nice. It may have been that on there. Yeah. Kick drum mic on the low Tom. Yeah, like it. it works pretty yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about the vocal mic? What do you use on Anna there? Uh, I believe that was the Mojave, actually. I think we use the Mojave um, MA300 mm-hmm. is what we use on her. It's their, their two-powered um, con- uh, large diaphragm condenser. Um, I really like it, uh, compare, I mean, I, I love the Neumanns like we're using right now, the, these, these TLM 49, they, they're mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, the, the Mojave, and I think maybe it's just two mics in general tend to like ro- not roll off the high end, but like soften the high end a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it has like a, I don't know, without, cause I could do that. I could do that artificially, but it just does it in tracking. So it had, and it probably just cause of the tube or something. I don't know enough about electronics to know why it's happening, mm-hmm. but it kind of keeps like the, the high end a little more subtle. Whereas these ones spike the high end a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is great when you want that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, there's something about the relationship between a singer and a specific microphone when you find the yeah, right one for them. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I don't, I want to pretend I didn't try a ton of different ones on Anna. I, I have recorded her on other products. She's done a studio stuff for me occasionally, and she has used the 49s, which is our go-to vocal mic most of the time. But I really liked, with the vibe we were going for, having that kind of tube-powered mic, I think was a good yeah. A good decision. Well, it sounds beautiful on her. I mean, if it ain't she's broke. Wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think anything would sound good to Anna. She's just yeah. got a killer voice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, was that track recorded uh, mostly separately through overdubs, or was there a, a basic tracking session? Yeah, so I got to produce Anna with this. This was a fun project for me because Anna came to me wanting to do a full or uh, an EP, uh, and she's a solo singer, piano vocalist and she 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 wanted me to write with her mm-hmm. and that was i love to get to collaborate because i i like to be able to write with someone who has and when i when i write my own stuff it gets like super in my head and i focus on me and it gets really dark in there sometimes uh but when i get to like focus on someone else's vision and help them bring it out that's i really like doing that so she had some simple chord progressions and these beautiful melodies and said hey let's try adding different chords let's just change up the progression here what if we add so we we, we go through some writing and then we got to spend time together uh she lets, what i usually do with an artist is i'll we'll talk about concepts and then i'll write a concept out so i'll try mm. a bunch of different like we'll try a synth we're going to try some reverse snare we're going to try this and we'll we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth we like that that's too much and even this song like i listen to it now i'm like man we did a lot of different stuff we kept a lot of pieces there's so much going mm-hmm. on that 
it might even be distracting. Like it depends on who you're listening, who, who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how we operated. And then for the session itself, we had that concept as a layout. So a lot of things like the electronic drums that we kept that like synth sounds were already in there. Um, some of the, like we had a couple of synth bass stuff in there that we mixed in with the live bass player. So during the tracking session, the first tracking session was those concept elements with uh, Anna's scratch track we had done previous during concept creation. And then it was piano-based drums recording live mm. together. Um, piano isolated, drums in the live room. And the bass, bass, his amp was in isolation when he was standing in the live room too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bass player is a guy named Brian Wolf, who's mostly known for photography in Kalamazoo. Wolf, uh, Brian Wolf Photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, credible Incredible guy. He's one of those guys. He's so good at everything. He makes you angry because mm-hmm. he's just he's a photographer. He plays bass. He's an engineer in his other his real job. He's an engineer, uh-huh. uh, but he he like is not a, an audio engineer. Not a real an audio. That's right. Yeah, he, <laughs> he actually makes money. Uh, he uh, he he has some really cool. He lo- he loves to go up really high, and I think that was a great example of him. So we we, we wrote a lot of bass parts out for him, which is great. But then we gave him lots of opportunities, and Keith too, saying, "Hey, at this point." feel free to try some stuff. And he's really good at finding some cool stuff up high on the instrument. And I th- that that particular song showcases a lot of his like higher elements. He, he had some counter melodies at the end that were just, we just kept rolling takes and say, just try stuff a few times. Keith too on the drums and same with piano. He had a melody he had to play, but he was trying different voicings with the left hand with it. And um, ended up, yeah, it worked out really great picking and choosing kind of which, which our favorites were. Mm. And then we overdubbed later. I overdubbed uh, all the guitar parts I played and I played them later. Um, and that one particularly was fun because I got to do uh, the nylon guitar, the classical guitar, mm-hmm. which was really fun to do. And um, pinching that really hard with the compressor was like a cool – I was <laughs> – it's going to sound dumb. I was – there's a uh, No Doubts uh, Don't Speak. Uh-huh. There's a guitar sure. solo in it yeah. that has – it's really pinched like that too. Uh-huh. And that's what I was trying to go for. I was trying yeah. to be a little no doubt. <laughs> well, well, that really blew me away at how you fit that guitar into such a meaty mix. Super you know? meaty, yeah. Um, uh, so when, when you're pinching it, are you you have quite a few channels of nice outboard compression here. Are you hitting mm-hmm. that on the way in or are you doing that in the box? Uh, uh, in the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost everything there was in the box. Um, compression on the way in was mostly on vocals. Um, I don't even think I did any compression. I may be on the kick. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while mm-hmm. now, but I, I I mostly did it all posts on mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, right. we, you know we can track it at a higher rate and high high bit depth, so sure. we, we I keep the volumes down and then do it in post. So yeah, nice. Yeah, what what kind of uh, compressor do you use on the vocal on the way in? Uh, if most of the time I'm using, I, I love to use the UA um, yeah. that that four seven ten D that's gotten so famous. Yeah. Um, because it has that 1176 compressor in it, and you have a couple options. It's not, you know, it's not a huge, hugely diverse compressor, but no, it's simplified, it's, but it sounds great. It sounds really good, and it's it's simplified to the point where I'm not worried about it. Like it can mm-hmm. handle most things. So, um, I, it just for Anna because she she can be very dynamic. Um, being able to kind of that edge off when she goes super high, letting it game reduce just a little bit there at the end was great. Mm-hmm. And then being able to mix the tube and the transistor, you know, can really affect the right. sound. Uh, so yeah, I like that. I almost always record, or I'll if I usually, I'll sometimes use the Avalon for voice too, but I'll run it through the eleven seventy six anyway just to yeah. have that that compressor. Uh, so I typically use that for voice. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And and then are you throwing some more compression on in the mix? Yeah, uh, that's more like a more in, intentional compression. I'm trying to think on. I think on hers, I was experimenting with uh, Avid's Pro Compressor, which I hadn't mm. really used much yet. Um, I know I use that for the guitar, the pinched guitar sound. Um, I was it was a new compressor for me, so I was really just trying it out. Um, my go-to compressors most of the time right now are the Oxford is my like. It's always there for me because mm-hmm. I know how to use it really well. Um, but I've been spending a lot more time in emulations using vintage emulators, trying to get mm-hmm. like subtle subtle differences. Um, so I've been using like the LA-2A emulator a lot. I've been using – and the 3A, LA-2A and 3A. And I've been using um, Slate's, Slate's gamut. You know, they have a yeah. ton of cool emulators in there and just trying – that the red one of – I always forget what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the red one in there is, is a g- great like, – I use that a lot too as a good starting place. Um, and I've been trying to use their distressor one, trying that a little bit as well. They have that distressor um, emulator as well until I can buy my own distressor. <laughs> right, sure. I've uh, been using that. Nice. What do you have going on here now? What projects are in the works at Overnight? Oh, let's see. Um, from the audio side, I'm working on a new John Moody album, mm-hmm. and that was tracked a few weeks ago. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> I'm doing KSO's ABBA 
uh, wow. big album we just did. We recorded back in March, and that's just a long process to get that done. Uh, so I got to work on it. Was the live from Sweden, like ABBA cover band, and mm-hmm. so we're doing that one. We have, and, and speaking of that, we also worked all for one from the '90s. The band uh-huh. they came with KSO, so we're, we're actually been sending things back and forth to them. They're doing their vocal stuff, and they'll send it back for the full mix here. Uh, then we have uh, the Stolberg International String Festival we just did, so we have to get all their video and audio files out to their their students. Um, and we did th- this Wednesday. We have um, the Calms of Youth Jazz Orchestra. And they're doing their big live recording full length album with them, and they have some really talented young kids in there. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, long, a hard day getting everything out there quickly and tracking you know twenty some odd channels, twenty eight channels, whatever it is, um, and like not having like an extra day to to prep for right. it. Ugh. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a cool concert with uh, with Benji Daneman's group. Oh, uh, cool. it's that he's done. Um, and what else? We have a documentary coming out. Um, some point it's through it's for bethany christian services about older child adoption so mm-hmm. 16 17 year old kids that oh. get lost in the system um, um so i got to do some we're doing the audio work on that and then i got to write some music for it too which was cool and that'll be coming out in the next i think within the year it's supposed to come out um and we we have a bunch of projects doing for oakland university that just came up so we're doing some branded music for them we just did some branded music for uh johnson and johnson for a video for with Maestro, got to do that with Maestro. Um, and then we have our video guys are doing this huge project for Innovelli, which is a local accountancy based smart plug, like smart outlets, mm. smart systems company that's kind of blowing up. So we're doing all these video, photo, branding, I mean, just a ton of stuff for their, for their online presence. Um, and that's been taking a lot of Drew's time <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of our DP's time to do these like 360 vi- uh, photos that you can like, you know, hover your mouse over and that's all kind of newer tech that's happening out there. Well, Gordon, thank you so much for your time here today. This has been fantastic. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and, and uh, this beautiful recording with us. Well, you know, it's an honor to be with you because you're kind of one of my heroes. So... Thanks for asking. <laughs> Absolutely. For more on Gordon, check out Overneath.com. You've been listening to Electricians and Mad Men. Today's interview was recorded at Overneath Creative Collective in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Our featured recording was Looking for You by Anna Joy Tucker. Our theme music was written and performed by Brian Koenigsnacht. For show notes, links, and more episodes, Visit electriciansandmadmen.com or subscribe on iTunes. I'm Ian Gorman of La Luna Recording and Sound. Thanks for listening.